Welcome to Hey Joe, a podcast answering questions asked by our listeners. Created by pet professionals for pet professionals. And now, your host, Hey Joe's very own, Joe Zuccarello. What's up, everyone? Joe Zuccarello here, and welcome to Hey Joe, a podcast brought to you by Paragon School of Pet Grooming. Check out our site at paragonpetschool.com for lots of really cool information on a variety of programs, products, and to connect to educational resources such as webinars, podcasts, current events, special news, certifications, and lots of other helpful information to help you grow yourself, your team, and of course your business. Let's get started with this week's episode. Hey there, listener audience. This is Joe Zuccarello, your host of the Hey Joe podcast. And uh, this is another new episode that we're bringing to you. But what's really cool about this episode, this episode is from a, a, a completely unique perspective, a completely unique angle. We've had other guests on the Hey Joe podcast before that are sort of talking about maybe some products or some techniques or uh, uh, marketing or a variety of different topics that might sort of be related to one another. But I've got a guest on today that I am very excited about. And uh, because again, this is, is this particular guest brings the entire world of pet. Now, don't, that's quite the weight I'm putting on his shoulders before he even starts the podcast episode. But he brings sort of the, the, the overall view of the entire pet industry, his, his position and, and what he does. He literally has his finger on the pulse of what's happening every day, every month, every year in the pet industry and what is actually also to come. So without further ado, I am joined today by the publishing director and editor-in-chief of Pet Business Magazine, Mark Kaligian. Mark, thanks for joining us today. And I probably butchered your last name, and I'm sorry, but hopefully a guy with the last name of Zuccarello gets a pass. Yeah, for sure. And trust me, I'm, I'm used to my name being butchered, but thank you for having me, for sure. And thank you for the talk up. Uh, it's, still, it's still weird. I've been in this business, covering this business for 20 years now, close to 20 years. Um, and it's still, I still feel like the guy who's learning the industry. Uh, I still feel like I'm in my first couple of years. Uh, I don't know where all the time went. Um, you know, it's still not comfortable to be called uh, an expert on the industry. Um, but I guess, you know, 20 years of experience has to count for something. Um, and you're right, we do take uh, at Pet Business a very broad view of the industry. Um, very much focused at the consumer uh, consumer interaction level. Um, so, you know, we talk very much about retail. We talk about grooming. Um, we've had grooming-focused publications in the past. Um, but as we've watched the industry kind of solidify um, and come together, you know, we used to be two very distinct uh, parts of the industry, grooming and retail. Um, as we've seen those two sides come together, we really brought in the focus of pet business specifically. So we folded those grooming specific publications into the magazine to really take a, a broad look at the industry all under the same title. Um, and yeah, just try to keep evolving with the industry because that's one cons one constant in the pet industry is, is nothing is constant, right? Absolutely. And, and, and again, what a great name for your magazine, right? And when we think of magazines, old guys like me think of magazines as being, you know, the paper magazine, but I got to tell you, I get the pet business magazine delivered to my email as the moment that you release a new issue, right? Or, or even sure. updates or even thoughts that you might put out that are between the issues, right? So I know you and your team are working very, very, very diligently in collecting the information from the world, because I read stories from from other countries that you highlight, from other, you know, from industry, uh, uh, from product manufacturers, all the way down to processes and new innovations that are coming. So um, what a great name for your magazine, Pet Business. So kudos to you for, uh, yeah. in, in its earlier days, just <laughs> calling it for what it is, right? It is the place where you learn about the pet business. Yeah, and, and that's key, you know, Pet gets us in the door with the reader, right? Because everybody that's listening to your podcast, everyone who gets pet business, who comes across pet business, cares about pets in some way, has a passion for pets in, on some level. Um, the business part, I would contend, though, is the more important part of that name. Um, because we understood very early on, people rarely get into the pet industry 
because they love running retail operations, because they love running a grooming salon, they love hiring people, they love managing people. We all get into the business because we love pets. Um, so, you know, we understood that there may be uh, a need among the audience out there that to be kind of uh, educated on the business side of things. Um, and we've had a lot of success with that approach. And there are, there are competitors in the marketplace. We're certainly not the only trade publication in the industry. Um, and we all have access to the same press releases from product companies and, uh, you know, industry organizations and stuff. So, you know, we had to look at what set us apart um, and, and really find the angle that and fill a need that we felt like nobody else was doing. Um, and that's where we really, we really want to um, engage with the audiences. Hey, you know, you love pets. We're not going to make you love pets more, but maybe we can help you be a better business owner. Well, and what I really like about your approach and, and, and really sort of that, that ball I put on the T, as you said, you know, whenever I was introducing you, you know, pet business prides itself on being one of the most trusted sources for information in the pet industry. And what I like about that is, you know, like any other uh, media or such, right? Try, even just, just a pet business in general, the pet industry, I've often said, we're not in the pet services business. We're not in a pet retail business. We're in the peace of mind business, right? We're in the trust business. And that's, what's so important. And I, and I love that, that your, your publication focuses on accurate information. You'd rather release something. You'd rather not release something or release something later, right? So that you can be trust it so you can vet it. Believe me, I've written for your publication before uh, and you push back on me and say, hey, where's this source coming from? Where is Where are you learning this information from? Because that's your integrity. And that's one of the things I really, really admire about you because at the Paragon School of Pet Grooming, you know, we're, we're, that's one of them, our, our main tenets is integrity. So it's great to see that you're, that you're focused on that as well. Yeah, I appreciate it. And, you know, honestly, you know, being in the trade media, it's not always easy. You know, our, our salaries are paid by advertisers. Um, so, you know, you do have to be conscious of, you know, upsetting the apple cart in terms of, you know, pissing off an advertiser or, um, you have to be careful too, not to necessarily buy into all the PR speak, all the marketing materials that you get inundated with, um, kind of have to be able to push through all that and really be honest. And, and frankly, the way I approach it is if I was on the other side and at this point I've been doing it so long in the back of my head, I'm a pet retailer, I'm a groomer, um, hmm. because I'm so used to thinking, looking at every issue and saying, if I was a retailer, if I was a grooming salon owner, if I was a staff member at a pet store, what am I going to think about this? What do I need to know about this company, this issue, uh, whatever the case may be? And that's the important thing. That's what I need to get to. That's what I need to convey to the audience. And to do otherwise, I think, is to be disingenuous and ultimately uh, would not set you up very well for, for success. Right. You're right. That runway is pretty short, right? You're going to run out of, <laughs> you're going to run out of concrete, right? You're going to run out yeah. of trust. So, yeah. um, yeah. so, so again, thanks for joining us today. And, and, and the, what we want with this episode is all about for all of you, the, all of the Hey Joe listener audience out there. If you've ever wondered about, let's say you're a retailer who has thought about adding grooming, or maybe you're a retailer that has grooming, but grooming is just not performing for your grooming has been a challenge for management uh, uh, or a challenge to grow. Um, Mark and I are going to sort of navigate both of those areas, maybe to bring some, some, some information to you, some assistance to you so that maybe you can look at grooming services in a different light, in a different perspective. But this episode is also meant for the, the inverse of that, right? The grooming salon, the grooming business or full service pet care facility for that matter who has thought about adding retail to your offering as another income stream, another strategic business unit, maybe an SBU, um, or maybe you offer retail, but you're just not happy with it. I've got a friend in the, in the, in the uh, uh, pet retail consulting business. She says uh, it's Candace Daniolo over at, at uh, pet boss nation. And she says, you're supposed to be a retailer, not a museum. And I just love that because she says, if you've got products that have that have dust on them or, or sun bleach in the window, you're not supposed to be a museum. You're supposed to be a retailer. So um, so just a shout out there to my friend Candace as well. But so that's what we're going to talk about is this melding. And I love that word you used earlier, this melding together of grooming services and retail. So, so first, I think what we have to do is talk about retailer attitudes about grooming, right? So how has... 
from 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 your perspective, from your knowledge, how has retailer attitudes uh, about grooming services, uh, to use your word, evolved? Right? How have they how have they evolved over the last twenty years? These retailers. Great. Um, yeah, and you know, this may sound kind of of, of blunt, and uh, but really, it's been very self serving, right, on the part of retailers, and not to say that's a bad thing. Um, but you know, when I first started, again, groomers. Groomers were on one side, retailers were on another. Um, they would maybe run across each other on the last day of a trade show. Uh, but really, otherwise, it was very much separation between church and state. Um, retailers, uh, as the big box stores, really started to encroach. And then even more so when the e-commerce uh, retailers started to gobble up market share, realized, wait a minute, um, how are we going to set ourselves apart? And obviously services are something that um, e-commerce can't uh, compete at all. Um, and the big boxes, depending on who you ask, cannot compete on the same level as a, a small operator. So they very much identified services, particularly grooming, because grooming is, you know, you look at training, you look at dog sitting, dog walking, those are all great services. Um, but in terms of the frequency and the reliability in which you're going to have customer traffic coming in for those services is nowhere near what grooming is. Uh, um, grooming is a difference maker for a business. You know, uh, those other things might be nice and in the right situation, maybe a very successful part of the business. Um, but a lot of times it's just kind of like a small complimentary offering. Grooming can really change a bottom line. And mm -hmm. a really great example of that is... Um, Earthwise Pet. Earthwise Pet is a franchise. They have uh, 54 stores across the country. Um, they started off with a, a different franchise located up in the Pacific Northwest that was retail only. The guy who started it, his mother was actually a professional groomer, had a grooming salon. So he understood grooming um, and he, he valued grooming, but he had, you know, fell into that same kind of trap that we all did back 20 years ago was like, no, that's a different business. Um, but then as he watched the dynamics in the industry change and he set off to do this, this new national franchise, he realized, no, services have to be kind of a cornerstone. Um, and from there on, services were always part of his business model. In fact, he didn't have to change the physical plant of his stores very much. Um, he realized he could really just kind of condense down some of the retail, be a little more efficient at the retail and open up space for the services. Um, and I've seen it time and time again, particularly among chains, Wolfgang Bakery, another great example. They early on, they started off as very boutique -y kind of convenience based. Um, and you know, years ago, they transformed to Wolfgang Bakery and Grooming. Um, and they exploded after that. Um, and Maybe they would have seen similar growth without the grooming. I doubt they would have seen nearly what they're what they're experiencing now. And it makes sense, right? And I, I remember writing when we did have our grooming magazine. This is going back; it had to be at least 10, 15 years ago. I remember writing a, an editorial saying to groomers, "Hey, look, you know that retailer around the corner that uh, refers customers to you? Yeah, well, guess what? Um, probably tomorrow you're going to be in competition with those guys. So." Don't count on the, the referrals coming in forever because eventually they're going to get in the grooming business. And I use it to make a case, hey, you know, fight fire with fire. You should be offering a retail segment as well. But uh, certainly it's something that they had to be aware of. And now they're even getting into mobile grooming. I, I've heard of chains that are looking into deploying a fleet of mobile grooming vans. And that was something... If you would have asked me 20 years ago, would retailers embrace grooming? I would have said maybe. If you would have asked me, would they embrace mobile grooming? I would say not in a million years. But lo and behold, it's 2021 and, and we're there. Um, yeah. And add, so add, add the pandemic that we're, we're all still sort of figuring out what's after, you know, COVID and such. You know, uh, there were a lot of retail businesses uh, that uh, retail and, and pet services businesses that that shrunk considerably because of restrictions and such, but yet grooming, you know, I've always said the dog's hair still grows, they still need a haircut. And 
uh, shedding breeds still need help with shed control. So that's why grooming businesses, unless they were mandated to close for a short period of time, grooming really didn't take any kind of back step. In fact, grooming accelerated because now you also have, you know, people that are an all-time high of pet parent, you know, pet parenthood, pet ownership, um, uh, low shelter numbers. So we've got more pets in households than ever before. And to your point, these, you know, retailers, retailers are saying, okay, the digital landscape of, of the sort of beyond the shelf presence, right? E-commerce, even, even independent retailers are now looking at some really great ways of expanding their, their, their footprint beyond the shelf outside of their store through e-commerce. But so far, so far, you cannot get a, a dog groomed online. <laughs> so uh, maybe that's one of those things, not in a million years, but I'm sure somebody will figure it out. But, but my point is nothing drives foot traffic customer loyalty and frequency like grooming services do and if those are the things that if you're a retailer if those things whet your appetite even bigger than that that the 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 product attachment rate from groomers recommending products that you carry in your retail store is 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 pure gold because that's that that recommendation that endorsement from a skilled trade person like a groomer right a skilled position like a groomer the customers are going to listen to that because they have this sense of this particular service provider is recommending something because they know my pet even more than maybe even the retailer staff member so uh it's just this it's perfect hand in glove yeah and one element uh that i think we'd be remiss not to touch on is um and it's a very simple way of looking at it is uh, the service as a product, right? And, and what we hear from retailers is, especially with the, the growth of the big boxes didn't really do this so much. And, and I remember coming into the industry thinking, wow, how hard must it be for a mom and pop to compete against Petco because they have such size and they could offer such low prices. But the reality was Petco and PetSmart have never been the low price leaders in this industry. E-commerce though, completely changed the game. I mean, you have Chewy.com and I, I hope this is not the case anymore, but certainly early on, was selling stuff below cost. Um, it was literally losing money on every transaction because their goal was to gain market share, not to make a profit. And what that did is it squeezed the margins on retailers. So now a retailer was already making a tiny margin on pet food anyway. Um, and now that, that, that tiny margin was stripped down even further. And the feedback I've gotten from, from retailers that have successfully incorporated grooming was, hey, look, you know, we realized groomers make pretty good margins on, because it's a service-based product, you could make a decent margin. If you're, if you're charging what it's worth, what people are actually willing to pay to have their dogs groomed, you could make a decent profit on those services. And... Um, their ability to take and blend those margins and come out with a bottom line that was much healthier than if they were really just in the, in the business of, of pushing dog food uh, has really kind of given a new life to an entire segment of the retail industry that maybe without that would be in a much different situation right now. And retailers, you know, retailers who have their customers come and buy dog food, for example, it's probably one of the reasons why people come back to their retailer more frequently than other products, right? But that might be every four weeks, it might be every six weeks, depending on what they're feeding and such. Grooming has that same regularity, but for all pets. So all of those pets, the the opportunity to introduce what you carry in your retail because you offer grooming services, because you maybe, maybe you've attracted a new customer you would have never attracted before who might be buying their products online and say, you know what? I really like these folks at this retail facility where my groomer happens to work at. So I'm going to start buying my food from here, my treats from here. And you know what's surprising to your point, Mark? Um, and I don't know, maybe it's surprising to some, it's really not surprising to me, is that pet parents will pay an extra dollar or two for the experience, for the knowledge, for the education, for the personal service, for that hometown feel right that if, if you if you make sure that you that they know that you're a part of their neighborhood right you're part of you're part of their community pet parents are gonna you can have a, a more elastic price point is i guess my point sure and on top of that you know 
something to think about too, particularly in the, the near future, is uh, the whole issue of auto ship, right? Uh, the e-commerce e-commerce segment has trained consumers or or um, you know made them aware that they have this option where they don't even have to think about their dog food anymore. Um, you know, they just put it on auto ship. They know they need a new bag every three weeks. They put it on auto ship, and then they don't even think about it anymore. They don't come into the. They won't go to a store to pick up the food. You know, they just take it for granted it's going to show up on their doorstep. Now, for a retailer, at least if they're coming in to buy the food, maybe you catch them with a great display of toys. Maybe you remind them that maybe they need a new treat or a new supplement or a new collar. Um, all these touch points gave them an opportunity to move higher margin merchandise. Um, because, again, nobody was making a fortune off of dog food, not at the retail level, right. certainly. Um, right. What's nice about grooming is you can't auto ship grooming, you know, and we're going to see, we're, we're already starting to see it. And I think over the next five to 10 years, you're going to see a huge shift in the marketplace where independent pet stores are going to be a lot more involved in the auto shipping type of situation because they have to be to, to not be in on it is to lose the business. So they really don't have a choice. That being said, how are they going to drive customer traffic into the store? Well, grooming services. Now, I've even seen some kind of take it a step further and go, you know what? If you're going to auto ship your food, maybe you want to kind of quote unquote auto ship your grooming services. There's a way you can do that. You can do pickup and delivery services. Um, the nice thing about that is you are not competing with e-commerce again. So if you're doing auto ship on food and you're a little mom and pop retailer on Main Street in, in Podunk, Iowa, um, you're going to be expected to deliver that food for free because Chewy does it, Petco does it, PetSmart does it, everybody does it. So you have mm -hmm. to. Uh, but I would contend that if you're picking up and dropping off a dog, you're going to get a premium for that. Um, and bring and, the food along with you and bring the treats and bring the supplies with you. Exactly. And it's an all, it's a, it's a, it's, it's, Listen, we're getting our groceries delivered to our home. I, I can I can hit a button, and I know I've said this on my podcast. I can hit a button on my phone today, and Amazon brings me a, whatever I order. They could I could order a tube of toothpaste, and they're going to bring it not only to my front door, but now they can open my garage door, put it in my garage, close my garage door, and leave. I don't even have to have any risk of it being on the front door. To your point, services have to start. How do we bring services to the home? And the best yeah. way to do that is pick up and delivery, go to where the customers are at and you have a better chance of even getting more customers. And not everybody's going to be evolved and, and get to that point, but at some point, probably something worth considering. So now we're talking, we're talking about how important grooming is to a retail business. And I think that's very important, but let's talk also now, let's shift our thinking. Let's say we've got retailers out there saying, so, okay, I'm all in, but I don't know a lot about grooming or I have grooming and I have groomers who this has been a real struggle for me. In fact, I've, I, I'd almost rather ditch grooming. So let's talk a little bit about uh, uh, grooming education and how retailers have gotten more educated in the world of grooming over the past uh, 20 years, in your opinion, seeing grooming as it, to your point, it used to be a tale of two cities, right? I can't remember yeah. the exact analogy used, but it was a we versus them, right? I've often said groomers in retail establishments are uh, mistakenly uh, or, or, or unjustifiably maybe seen as sort of that box of misfit employees in the front of the store, right? That are the mm -hmm. groomers because they don't, they don't, grooming services doesn't behave like a bottle of shampoo on a shelf. It doesn't conduct itself as well. It may not even give us the margins that we expect from something that's an inanimate object sitting on a shelf waiting to be purchased. Grooming is a different animal, a necessary one, which I hope we're making the point. But how has a retailer's education of grooming changed? Yeah, and I think, you know, frankly, I think you've tapped into an area where the industry needs to see more progress. Um, you know, there are, particularly on the chain level, um, the chain level we see there are some organizations that have really, really thrown their arms around grooming and have created systems internally to, you know, handle things like training, um, you know, make ongoing education, um, really close, closely managing the grooming department. 
um, the, the experience level, the safety of the dogs, most, in, most important, the safety of the animals, um, you know, interactions with customers have done a really good job creating an infrastructure to handle that with or without outside help. Um, then you have this other class of retailer uh, tends to be a little more on the smaller side that just kind of wings it, right? They go, uh, I put an ad in the paper for a groomer. They seem like they knew what they were doing. So we gave them the job. Um, I think that that middle part and really is kind of still feeling their way um, around the, the topic of grooming. And that's where organizations, educational organizations that were very much fo solely focused on grooming, I think will play an important role in the next five to 10 years in partnering with you know, everyone from the little mom and pop one, two store operation on Main Street to the 60, 70, 80 store chain uh, that are growing by leaps and bounds uh, right now. Um, and that's where I think, you know, formalizing uh, the resources that are available for training and, and really retailers really need to understand more what's out there. You know, I guarantee you the average retailer who's considering adding grooming has no idea what resources are out there in terms of education. Um, they don't know what certifications are available, what the different certifications mean, why would you need to be uh, a master groomer, uh, why those requirements are there, what it means to, to earn that designation, um, and why it's important that you have someone with that level of certification. So I still think that we need to see a lot of progress in the minds of retailers, um, in the practices of retailers, and, and hopefully progress in terms of uh, the, the organization, the educational organizations, and being able to connect and engage with those retailers and, and make, it, make them aware that those resources are available. Because again, I've heard the whole gamut of stories to ones where I'm, I'm really surprised at just how in depth and, and well thought out their programs are to ones that are clearly just flying blind. Mm -hmm. um, and I think in a lot of cases it's fear, right? Because if you're selling dog food, you trust that the manufacturer of that dog food is, has so much at stake that they're going to make sure that that food is healthy, it's safe. And we all know that there are exceptions to that. We've all seen it. Um, but in grooming, in any kind of services, the retailer has a direct hand in the health and safety of that animal. And that's a pretty scary proposition. And I think that was probably one of the biggest hurdles in terms of retailers adopting grooming services was the idea that I can't guarantee the safety. I can't guarantee the health of the animal when they're in the care of somebody that I don't understand their business. I don't understand the process of grooming dogs. That's why I think more retailers need to hire a point person, you know, a, a, somebody who's a, a veteran grooming professional and say, you tell me how we're going to design our services as opposed to putting an ad in the paper. You look like you know what you're doing. Go ahead, you know, put your shingle up. And we've seen it evolve too. We saw it. I remember talking to one of our retailers of the year. This is going back years ago. Um, I said, have you guys ever thought about services? They're, oh, yes. We think about services all the time. So what are you doing? Well, when we look for a new store, we try to co-locate it next to a groomer. Well, they understood the value of the grooming service, but it scared the heck out of them. The idea that they had liability in the dog or didn't, just didn't want to be bothered with worrying about, are we hiring competent, well-trained groomers? Then we started to see it evolve a little bit and they'd say, well, we lease space in the store to a groomer, right? Keeping it at arm's length still, like we have the services, but we're not responsible for those services um, to where we are today, where we see them just fully. And I think that's the way to go, right? If you want to be sure that your customers' pets are safe, then the buck has to stop with you. Um, and that means hiring competent, knowledgeable people. And I would posit that starts with uh, partnering with the right organizations, educational organizations. Yeah. So, and I, and, and I, and I agree about that. And, and that's, and that's why, that's why at Paragon School of Pet Grooming, you know, one of our charges was bringing grooming education to people that, that need it, not only individuals who are looking for a career in pet grooming, but to these retailer professionals out there, these retailer establishments that, 
they don't know what they don't know. And sometimes they know what they need to know and it's too late. Something's happened or something went sideways. And now it's their reputation and their integrity on the line. And for these retailers, so so it not only is it understanding grooming as a business, but also understanding the art of grooming and, and this consistency and the training and making sure that grooming professionals have what it is that they need to be successful in these retail establishments. But it's also groomers, professional groomers, those that can do haircuts are, think about all of the different retailers that we're probably catching the attention to attention, attention of during this podcast. If there's one more retailer that says, I'm in, I want to get in the grooming game. That's one more person that's looking for groomers. Yep. Right. So that's one more person that's looking for a very limited supply of this trade skill, this skilled position out there, which are groomers. Groomers can't be created fast enough. So that's why retailers really have to embrace the idea of growing their own grooming team and onboarding a program. And 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 to your point, look around. There's there's educational resources out there to help retailers do that. But you know, that's why compare and contrast them. And that's really the, the only intent, the, the main intent of, a, of an organization like Paragon School of Pet Grooming. And that's why we're so proud to have our partnership with Pet Business as well is, is, is saying, listen, compare and contrast these, put, a, put Paragon up head to head against other uh, educational resources and make us, make us earn our keep, make us earn your business uh, as far as growing your own, your own grooming staff. But, but overall, the, the, the broad stroke message for retailers is, you have to get educated. You have to know more about this. And one of the biggest fears about grooming, to your point, is that they can't just, if a groomer is not there that day for whatever reason, right? A retailer or their staff can't step in and do that job that that groomer was going. It's a specialized skill. So that scares retailers as well. Let's just, let's just call out the ugly right there, right? Yeah. It's not something that they could say, hey, uh, uh, store staff member, Jenny, I need you to go and groom this schnauzer today. Well, <laughs> it's probably not going to happen. And if they try, it's probably not going to have a great outcome, right? Whereas mm -hmm. if a store staff member is out for a day, the owner operator of that store or somebody else could pull a double shift and still operate that store. So um, this is a skilled talent, but I, 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 I do agree with you, Mark. The reward is worth the effort. Yeah, her. and I think an important component of that, and 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 I'll I'll tip my cap to Paragon in particular on this is, um, the ability of organ educational organizations like yours to evolve the way you deliver the education, um, and make it more accessible. You know, again, going back to when I started, the idea of it would be great if you owned a small salon and you had a kind of a a somebody you were mentoring and you could send them to a formal grooming school for the old fashioned type of uh, grooming education where they were learning on site um, or, you know, going to one of a small handful of uh, on location uh, schools. Um, that was a great way to learn. Don't get me wrong. Accessible, mm, not at the volume that we're seeing the demand of reach at this point. And I think that's where you guys were, were very smart to be ahead of the curve in that you guys were, created accessibility before maybe even before the demand was was there enough to really require it um but now that the industry is kind of caught up you know who else is doing things on that level in terms of offering that level of uh accessibility um to people because again it's one thing to get referrals it's one thing to be able to analyze someone's resume and say oh you went to this school okay and you have this certification that's great it's another be able to tap into, um, you know, some type somebody's placement uh, department, you know, somebody who has an organization that's actively engaging with these businesses to say, hey, look, we have this pool of talent that you can tap into and not just use this as a resource for people who are already on your staff, but as a way to find staff. So I think that will continue to be important and, and hopefully we'll see progress uh, on both sides. Yep, I agree. Thanks for the thanks for the uh, the kind words as well. And you know, and it's not it's not about teaching, you know, for for all of you retailers out there, it's not about just teaching grooming skills, right? Um, what 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 
what I'm going to urge that you focus on is creating, yes, you're going to be creating grooming professionals or, or growing your own grooming producers, but you're growing them in your culture, which is very important and a, and a huge help, huge advantage for you. But they're also going to grow as well-rounded employees, right? We don't want to just teach people how to trim nails and, and clean ears and bathe and brush dogs and do haircuts. We want them to understand active listening with customers, right? We want them to understand what customers are saying. We want them to hear what customers are saying. We want to be able to, to talk about patience and, and safety and uh, uh, sanitization and, and, and safe pet handling, all of the things that make them a well-rounded employee because we need your store staff to have the confidence in your services staff and vice versa so that they work as a team. And we blur that line or completely erase that line that a lot of facilities have had, you know, up to most recently, which is the we versus them type of, of relationship. So Mark, let's move now into talking about just the, just the, the pet retail channel in general, specifically the the state of the independent pet retail channel what what is the what's the short term i mean you got your finger in the pulse we've already established that and again pet business does it like no other but but what is the what's the short term outlook so what's going to be happening sooner rather than later and what do you see happening long term in the retail channel yeah i think we're very much at an inflection point um in the particularly in the independent uh retail channel because what we're seeing is uh, an explosion among uh, a very small group of chains, uh, particularly regional chains um, that, are, you know, 15, 20 years ago, they were maybe had number of stores in the teens, you know, 10, 15 store chains that are up in the 60s, 70s and above. Um, they are very much independent retailers, very much take that independent mindset. And in fact, I would posit that for most of your listeners, their first thought when they hear independent retailer is probably one of these chains that is 60 some odd stores. And it's brought up a lot of interesting questions about what is an independent retailer? Is there a site? Petco was an independent retailer at some point. PetSmart, Walmart was an independent retailer at some point. At what point do you turn the corner and you're no longer considered independent? That being said, I do have concerns about the smaller guys, the one, two, three store operations, especially the, the, the very small one store operations. You know, obviously economies of scale help, are helpful, um, not only in terms of being able to, to make a decent profit, but also to really understand the industry and be efficient and have an efficient organization. Um, that being said, you know, they're seeing encroachment constantly um, from Petco and PetSmart, not so much lately. I think Petco, I think we're going to see over the next five to 10 years, them have this kind of renewed strength, um, a renewed push and, and get gobbling up some market share. Uh, if you asked me today, I would say very likely at somewhat at the expense of a PetSmart, um, but also at the expense of the independence. And then you have e-commerce. E-commerce, we took it for granted, or I think independence took it for granted uh, going back five or 10 years ago that they were mostly stealing market share from Petco and PetSmart. Um, that day is over. They are definitively stealing market share from the independent channel on some level. Um, and a really stark number came up, came to my attention. I want to say it was earlier this year, maybe late last year. But uh, there's this group out there, the Independent Pet Retail, Independent and Neighborhood Pet Retailers Association, indiepet.org. They are uh, the industries, as far as I know, the industry's first retailer uh, industry organization, association. They basically estimated independent pet stores have about, I want to say, a 10 to 11% market share in the pet, pet space. Compare that to Chewy. Um, I believe it was their, their fourth quarter of 2020, or maybe it was the first quarter of 2021. Essentially, based on their numbers, it was something like seven billion out of a one hundred billion dollar industry. They were making seven billion. The total pet industry is somewhere in the area of one hundred billion. So they are Chewy by themselves are at seven percent market share versus eleven percent for independents. Chewy continues to grow at a double digit percentages every year. At some point. And, and independent's been kind of squarely in that 10, 11% for a number of years now. At some point, 
Chewy could eclipse the entire independent segment of the pet retail channel. Wow. And, wow. You know, when I saw this, I, I did an editorial about it and, and simply left the open-ended question, what happens? What happens when we reach that point? Because do manufacturers who, some of which have done a very good job at staying in the race and keeping independence competitive by either not selling through Chewy or working really hard to make sure that there's a level playing field for everybody. But what happens when Chewy becomes a bigger customer than an entire segment of the industry? Does mm -hmm. that kind of get turned on its head? Do they all of a sudden go, we got to go where the money is? So services, again, kind of jumping back to services like grooming uh, are going to be very, very important in terms of stopping that hard charge of a Chewy in stealing market share away from the independence, keeping independence relevant. That being said, 10 years down the line, I could easily see uh, the regional chains continue to dominate even more so. Um, you know, the, the pool of small one, two, three store operators continue to shrink. What that means for our industry really depends on how how pervasive it is. I mean, do we see basically the, the small independent become extinct? Then I think, I don't think we can have this vibrant industry if it's basically down to, I think we do a top 25 retailers every year. If it became those 25 retailers was the, were the entire independent channel, I think we're in trouble as an industry. I think the in, our industry is so unique in that we still have this huge group of small independent retailers that are diverse, take a vastly different approaches um, in the way they go to market. And if that pool of retailers continues to shrink, we're going to see a lot more um, consistency from one retailer to the next. And you're going to see brands suffer. You, and then ultimately the pet owner is going to suffer, right? Because competition ultimately benefits the consumer and the less competition, the less benefit to the consumer and um, less innovation is what will end up coming at, will end up resulting as well. So yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I, I hope I'm wrong. And then one thing that I think is a real wild card on the retail level is private equity. So far, we haven't seen a ton of private equity investment at least on a large scale in the independent chains. Could that change? It very much could. Um, we could see, you know, I'm sure there's plenty of inquiries. I'm sure that there are, you know, 50, 60, 70 store operators out there that are getting calls from private equity groups saying, hey, we like your business. We want to get in. And it's, that would be a real game changer to me because I think once that dam breaks, um, then we're going to see, you know, we're going to see far fewer chains being handed down as family businesses and just kind of being traded um, in the private equity circles. And yeah. again, I don't think that if you know anything about private equity, that's not necessarily the best thing for consumers. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Well, I think that's a, I, I appreciate the short term and the long term. Uh, and, and, and again, as you were saying that, you know, what keeps going through my mind is if I'm a retailer out there, whether I have one store, 10 stores, 20 stores, whatever, what's going through my mind, if I had that, I'd be saying, okay, I have to have services, right? It's my, it's, 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 it's not a safety net. It's not a plan B right? But it's a strategy. It's a market strategy to make sure that I have this diverse portfolio of offerings so that if something took a hit in my business, I'm a little bit more shielded. I'm a little bit more insulated from the impact that the depth of the impact that that would have on my overall business and my overall clientele. Um, one thing we promised was to talk just, just briefly about if you're a grooming professional out there, how should you be looking at retail, right? So if you're a grooming professional out there that either owns your own salon or maybe you're, 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 you're working for a retailer, how should a grooming professional see retail in your opinion? Um, you know, I'll, I'll, I have to credit uh, Missy Salzberg. Um, she, she runs the Village Groomer. She has a Village Groomer up in Massachusetts. Massachusetts? Yeah, Massachusetts. Um, and I worked with her years ago on Grooming Business Magazine for a while. And she was the first person in the grooming industry that I heard really be um, 
you know, very passionate about the idea that groomers needed to get in the business of retail um, and not just, you know, a, you, as you mentioned before, kind of a token level of retail, you know, not the, you know, when you go into the gift shop at the, uh, at the hotel, when you're staying at a conference and they have like that spinner rack of little mm-hmm. travel size Advils and, uh, you know, keychains, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or, or, you know, different toiletries and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You're re- in a grooming salon, your retail section cannot essentially be the toiletry section of a gift shop. You know, you mm-hmm. have to really put the effort in or else it's just going to be kind of treated by the customer the same way you're treating it, right? If you treat it as a well-curated selection that's meant to benefit your customer, not just your business, but your customer, then your customers will will catch on to that and they'll engage with the retail. Um, If you are doing it as a token, like I know I have to have some kind of retail and maybe I can sell a magnet when somebody's in here, you know, or a mm-hmm. box of treats, I could send them out with a box of treats on the way out. That is not the right approach. If you're going to do retail, have a plan in place of what you want your retail to do, what you want it to do for your business, what do you want it to do for your customer, and then make sure you pay service to that goal. Um, and I think that's very important. And again, if more groomers, I think, had listened to Missy when I was working with her 15, 20 years ago, um, it would be a much different dynamic right now, right? Because retail is positioned to steal business from established grooming salons. Um, if groomers had been a little ahead of the curve in terms of adopting retail, and I would posit would have been much easier, right? It's a lot easier to learn retail than it is to learn grooming. I guarantee you that. Um, you know, they could essentially be fighting right back on the level playing field, whereas a retailer you know, is, is coming from a position of strength, right? Most grooming salons are small one, two store operations. A lot of these uh, retailers that are adopting grooming services are much bigger organizations that are maybe not as powerful as a Petco or an Amazon, but certainly going head to head with a small mom and pop salon very much have the the power position. So I think there's a lot more to be done. I, I hope that it's not too late for a lot of small grooming salons to really embrace retail. Um, but I will say, regardless of, of what you think the potential is, you just you have to have a very clear idea and it has to be something that's meant to move product. Like you mentioned earlier, you know, it's not a museum. It's not there to just go, oh, hey, that's cool. You know, no, the intention should be that somebody will pick the product off the shelf and walk out with it. And then we'll come back for more, right? How much more powerful is that? That mm-hmm. maybe they're coming in between grooming visits to pick something right. up. Well, right. Because maybe they know every time they come into your salon, you have the coolest new toy and something that they've never seen before and won't find it Target. They won't find it at Petco. They won't find it anywhere else, but they find it in yours. So now they're incentivized to come in. Now they're not coming in every four to six weeks. Maybe they're just stopping by. Um so I think well, and if you and if you're a grooming professional who works in a retailer establishment, right? Let's say you work in get to know to your point, it's a whole lot easier to learn retail, to learn more about products than it is to learn grooming. So let's serve the pet parent and the pet to the best of our ability. So if you're a professional groomer out there who works in a big box establishment, who works in a chain, who works in an independent uh, uh, grooming facility that might have some retail. Get to know those retail products so that you can best serve your the pet client and also the pet parent client as well. So it can carry you to new heights, even inside organizations. If you are not only successful at the craft and art of of performing professional grooming, but to have the ability to recommend serve or recommend products because you're the service professional can actually exalt actually to amplify your ability to maybe yeah. move up in the organization where you're where you're employed by so so at every level right so as we're wrapping this up mark um 
Tell the tell the Hey Joe listener audience out there, how do they, you know, I, I boast about I get pet business delivered to my email inbox as often as uh, uh, subscriptions come out. How do the how does the Hey Joe listener audience member out there, how do they connect with pet business? Uh, and 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 what what would they gain by being connected with pet business? Sure. Um, well, we'll start uh, the easiest way to connect with pet business, go to petbusiness.com. Um, and from there, you can sign up for a print subscription. We still print magazines. Yes, there are still people who print magazines. And um, I, I'm happy to say our, our circulation is still very strong in the industry. Um, I guess that helps to be a free publication that's supported by advertisers as opposed to paid subscriptions. Um, but we've evolved, right? Uh, we un we've understood that we couldn't just stay print focused. So what we've done is obviously expanded like every other media brand into the digital space. So you can, we do uh, bi-weekly, we do newsletters that go out every, every week, two newsletters every week. Um, we do specialized newsletters for the grooming professionals that really focus in on specifically grooming content. But again, with the caveat that our approach to grooming may range from Hey, here's some tips and tricks for, uh, you know, using uh, clippers, you know, or snap-on combs, I think is, it was our latest one. Mm -hmm. Tips and tricks for using snap-on combs for all manner of, of grooming uh, techniques um, to, hey, how do you build an efficient staff uh, or how do you do continuing education? Um, and then we could also, you could also subscribe to our magazine online like you do. Uh, you don't have to get a paper magazine. Um, we do deliver it monthly via email, and it looks just like the printed magazine. You flip through it on your computer, or you could actually click on articles and read them as if they're web articles. And then, of course, our website has all the content that's in the print issue, but then daily content going up all the time, um, whether it's news, blogs, commentary, um, everything from just general interest in pet, you know, uh, what's going on, tips that we can give to, uh, that retailers and groomers can give to customers, like how to make sure your pet's hydrated during the summer or what to look for uh, in terms of, uh, you know, pet health, skin and coat health, stuff like that, to just analysis of what's going on in the industry. Um, you know, anytime something big happens in the industry, my first thought is, what does this mean for the retailers, the groomers, the guys at the consumer level, uh, what does it mean to the entire industry? Um, so we try to take a really thoughtful, analytical approach to the industry, but also do some fun stuff in there and some real practical stuff that uh, at times could even be uh, relevant to the consumer. So what I really love about what you're saying then is being part of pet business. Pet business is an educator. I mean, right? The, the information you're bringing forward is to help educate and make, make people in our industry uh, much more wise and much more valuable to the people than that they serve at whatever level they serve them, whether it's an employee serving an employer, an employer serving an employee, or any of the staff members serving the pet parents or overall serving our overall industry. Mark, thank you so much for being part of thank the you. Hey Joe podcast. Uh, I am sure that we've got lots of people out there kind of what I call noodling on what am I going to do next if I'm a retailer who's been contemplating grooming or taking my grooming to the next level or if I'm a grooming professional wanting to learn more about retail and all of that sort of collides in two places, Paragon School of Pet Grooming and certainly in partnership with Pet Business. Mark, thanks again for everything. I appreciate your time. Great, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure.